Good to see you guys. Uh, let's go ahead and pray and we'll get started. Uh, dear Lord, we do come before you this morning, God. We know that you have something for us, God. We've gathered in this room, Lord, to look to your word, to your spirit for truth, for guidance, Lord God. So would you prepare our hearts just to be ready to receive all that you have for us, God. Would you give us expectant hearts, Lord, soft soil ready to receive and to apply everything that you have for us here in this place. And so we thank you for this time. We welcome you here in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. All right. Um, so let me start with this. The term broken, by definition, it means to become damaged or unable to work properly. It is a loss of function. And so generally, when you hear that something is broken, that's not a good thing, right? It's like when you get the news that something is broken, like how often are you like, oh, yes, this is a good thing, right? It, it's not. It is a bad thing generally. However, there are certain things that actually must first be broken in order to function properly. Amen. For example, glow sticks. You guys know glow sticks? They glow in the dark, right? A glow stick must be bent and stressed and flexed to a certain point until there's a little glass vial in there with some chemicals, until it is broken, until it reaches that point. It will not, cannot, perform the very function that it was designed and intended to do. It must be pushed and pressed to its breaking point. And that's what we're going to talk about today, is breaking points. Because in this season, this season has been crazy. It's been stressful. It's been a little bit hectic, right? Or is that just me? Maybe I don't. Okay, right? Uh, there's been a lot of stress. You know, I, it's like, are we... On day 15 yet? Like, of the, of the shutdown? I feel like it's like, you know, like when the, you're counting hide-and-go-seek or something like that, and they're like, nine, nine and a half, nine and three quarters. It's like, come on, let's just, let's just get through this already. This has been a crazy season, right? Just so many stresses, one thing after another. So many people dealing with the stress of physical uh, issues, medical issues. We're dealing with social issues, political issues, emotional stresses, financial stresses. And for some, it's just like, when is this ever going to end? And this, this season and this time and the stresses and the pressing and the crushing has brought so many people to the point where they're like, I cannot take any more. This season has brought people quite literally to their breaking point. And today... I want to suggest to you that the way that we respond when we are put into this situation, when we are brought to our breaking points, it is the way that we respond that determines whether or not this breaking point will cause us to fail or to be victorious. Amen. This season, we need to ask ourselves, is this going to create a loss of function in you? Is this going to cause you to, to fail, to operate, to, to become damaged, dysfunctional, and unable to operate? Or is it going to be the very thing, the catalyst, the moment, the time, the thing that causes you to function at a level, in a way, like you never have before? To walk out and to live out the very thing that you were designed and intended to do and to be. And so that's what we're going to see today in our text is how we can turn our breaking point from a failure into a win. 
And so today we're going to be looking at the story of a man who went through his own breaking point in a similar way. So go ahead and turn with me to Genesis chapter 32. Genesis 32, and uh, we're going to be talking about none other than Jacob himself. Now here's the thing, we've got, we got to learn a little bit about Jacob because he did quite a bit of work to get himself into the predicament and to get himself to the breaking point that we're going to find him here in our text. See, because Jacob is a complex, conniving kind of a character. And so we're going to take a few minutes to really understand who it is that we're dealing with here when we talk about Jacob. Now, Jacob, of course, was a twin. He, he and his brother Esau. And, and the craziness with Jacob started all the way back in the womb. Genesis 25, 22, it says this, But the children struggled together within her, and she said, If all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. And so here's his mom, Rebecca, and there's, there's like a rumble in the tumble going on, right? Here she is pregnant in, in the womb, and she's like, hey, what's going on in here? You know, she's like, hey, don't make me come in here, right? No. But there's craziness going on. And so even coming out of the womb, here is Jacob who uh, gets the name of heel catcher because they're, they're struggling, right? I don't know if they realize at that point the first one out wins, right? First, firstborn gets the, the birthright. And so Esau gets out first and Jacob's holding on to his heel. He's like, no, right? A relentless fighter from his birth. You know, talk about sibling rivalry, right? I mean, these guys came out needing a timeout, right? Their mom comes out and is like, okay, you sleep over here, you sleep over here, y'all need a little space. You've been a little bit too tight. I think some of us have gone through that in this season, right? Being really close together, tight space, need a little space, so there you go. So then the next thing we read about Jacob and his life is how he is a conniver and he takes advantage of his brother's right. So he couldn't be the firstborn, he grabbed that heel, he didn't get it. So now he tries to steal it, right? The birthright. And he waits till a time when his brother is weak, super hungry. You know, I don't think he would have made it the Friday before the men's breakfast. Like Esau, he's like, he says, I'm going to die, right? And it's like, come on now. Like, I get being hangry. Like, you know, that happens sometimes. You do some crazy things, say some crazy things. But he sells his birthright. It's like, really? Esau, come on, man. And so Jacob was there, and he seized the opportunity, and Jacob had something a-brewing. And it wasn't just the stew, right? He had a plan, right? And he, he seized the opportunity and ends up selling, getting his brother to sell his birthright for a bowl of stew. Then later on, Jacob wasn't done, right? He's still going, right? There's still a blessing to be had for the firstborn. And so he uh, conspires with his mother to uh, trick his father, who's getting old, his, his sight and his uh, abilities are dimmed. And um, so he dresses up as his brother by putting animal skins like on his arms and on his neck. And it's like, how hairy do you have to be to where you put skins on your arms? We're like, yep, that's him. Like, that's Esau, right? But I mean, that's what it says in the scripture, you know? Um, in Genesis 25, 25, it says that he was like a hairy garment all over. So I don't know. There you go. That's just, that's how it was, right? And so he ends up tricking his father and uh, getting the blessing. And then so uh, Esau comes back from hunting 
and he finds out what his little brother was up to. And uh, let's just say he wasn't too happy about that, right? Genesis 27:41 is Esau's reply. He says, the days of mourning for my father are at hand, and then I will kill my brother Jacob. Okay, this is sibling rivalry. This isn't just one of those, I'm going to kill you, right? No, he mean it. Like he's literally, what we see here is he's planning his calendar. Check this out. He's like, item number one is mourning for my father. Item number two, murdering my brother, right? It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, like it's going to happen, right? So Jacob is like, all right, I am out of here. He flees to uh, his mother's uncle's house, Laban in Haran. And uh, he, from that point, he uh, finds his wife, Rachel, his uh, uncle's daughter, and uh, he uh, works uh, seven years for her, and then uh, his uncle plays the old switcheroo, right? And it's, it's funny how the Bible describes Rachel and Leah, right? Genesis 29, 17, it says, Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance, right? I don't know what that means. It's kind of like, Rachel was beautiful, and Leah, oh. Man, she had a great personality, right? It's like one of those things like, read between the lines, you get what I say, right? And Jacob was going for the pretty one, right? He wanted, and so Laban gives him the old switcheroo. He ends up having to work seven more years because their custom is the oldest daughter has to marry first. And so here he is kind of uh, seeing his uh, uncle get the best of him. But then Jacob resorts back to his old tricks. And he begins to manipulate uh, the practices in the flock to enlarge his own flock at the expense of his uncle's flock. And over a period of time, his uh, uncle gets wise to it. And he's like, hey, this isn't, this isn't going to work. And so Jacob, sensing the danger, uh, he flees and he is on the run. Um, he ends up having an encounter with Laban and uh, they basically agree to, to part ways and they, you know, they lay down the stones and it's like, Jacob, you cannot come back. Essentially, that bridge is burned. Don't be coming back this way. And so as Jacob is continuing to head forward, now on the other front, he sees his brother is approaching. His brother who's got a calendar appointment to say more than hello uh, to him. And so here Jacob is. He's like pressed on both sides, right? Uh, he's got, you know, this bad relationship here. He can't go back and coming forward to where he's at. He's like pinned in on both sides, pressed. What does he do? Let's read the text and find out, all right? So let's stand, uh, if you would, for God's word. And let's read uh, verses 22 through 32 of Genesis chapter 2. And he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them and sent them over the brook and sent, them, sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he had saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of his hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. For he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. 
Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. And Lord, we pray, God, that you would reveal to us, God, your truth through your word, that you would speak to us, speak to our hearts, Lord, that we would draw from and apply to everything that you have for us here in this place. So we ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So here we pick up again. Jacob is literally in the proverbial, uh, in between a rock and a hard place, right? And he is tired, he's weary from this journey, and he is looking for some resting, and he gets some wrestling instead, right? It's like, the next thing you know, here's this man, and he's wrestling him, and uh, so they're, they're struggling all through the night, and uh, he says, hey, let me go, and uh, Jacob's like, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me, so the man dislocates his hip, ultimately blesses him, and uh, we'll see as we uh, dig into this here that this was no mere man that Jacob was wrestling. He was, in fact, wrestling with God. And what we're going to see as we kind of unpack this here is that there's really a, a beautiful tension between uh, holding on and giving in that leads to victory. Right? There's a beautiful tension there. We're going to see it as we uh, look at Jacob's breaking point here. And so uh, as we look at this, we're going to draw three points from the text and our three points will be three keys to turning your breaking point into a win. Three keys to turning your breaking point into a win. And these are three things that we should seek as we go through our breaking points. Three things that should change. Three things that we should seek for God to do in us. Three things that God changed in Jacob through his breaking point that we need to look to as we go through ours. So... How do we come out of our breaking points, not with a loss of function, but with a gain in function and an ability to do what we never could before? We'll see that here. And uh, our points are going to spell out the word win, W-I-N, W-I-N. And because winning with God, as we'll see, doesn't come the way that you think. It really comes the opposite of, of what you might think. It comes through surrender. And so as it comes the opposite way, I'm going to give you our points in reverse order. So we'll start with the N and then we'll work for the W, okay? So uh, we're going to see how victory comes through surrendering to God. Ultimately, that's what we're going to see. When we, we're going to see that we win when we surrender. Like that's how you win with God. It's through surrender. Check this out. Uh, Matthew 16, 25. Uh, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We need to surrender. We need to do what, what might be counterintuitive, what might be the opposite. Instead of struggling, when it comes to God, we need to surrender. And the truth, truth is you win not when your will is done, but we win when we allow God's will to be done in and through us, right? When God's will is done, that's when we win because God's got a better plan. God wants to do more. God has greater things in store for us than simply self-preservation. And so when we pursue our plan, guys, we limit ourselves to our own abilities, to our own strength, to our own resources. It's not until we let go and surrender to God's will that we then jump onto God's side and then engage God's power to do His will. So the truth is, guys, we win when He wins. Yeah. 
right? When God wins, that's when we win, and we win when we surrender to God. So let's go ahead and take a look at our first point here, the end in win. The first key to turning your breaking point to a win is allowing your breaking point to produce a new nature, a new nature. And by nature, I mean your natural tendencies, right, and uh, your natural characteristics, Jacob had a nature of a deceiver, right? We went through that, like from the birth, really from the womb. He's a, he's a deceiver. He's always struggling, trying to connive and figure out a way to get things done, to do things his way for his own benefit. He was always seeking to try to find a way to get what he wanted. And so as we approach our breaking points, we need to shift from that kind of mentality. We can have that kind of mentality ourselves where we try to do things on our own, in our way, in our limited understanding and in our limited resource and in our limited strength. And what we need to do is surrender over to God and allow His will, right? And to see things from a spiritual perspective. And trying to, instead of trying to get out of every situation, we need to look to the Lord and ask Him, what is it that you want to get out of me in this situation? What is it that you want to pour into me? What is it that you want to develop in me in this season and in this situation? So we must allow our breaking point to create a new way of going about things and looking at things and approaching things and not trying to do things on our own. Look in our text here, verse 26, it says this, and he said, let me go. So here the man says, let me go for the day breaks. And then Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And so here we see this struggle and, and, and really in Jacob's breaking point, we're going to see a change in character where he went from pursuing things on his own to really a surrender. And, and the, here's the crazy thing is it's not in the text here in Genesis. To really see the true nature of what we're talking about here, you go to Hosea chapter 12. Hosea chapter 12, where Hosea gives a commentary on this exact occurrence here, and we get some very important information. Hosea 12.3 says this, speaking of this occurrence in Jacob, he says, he took his brother by the heel in the womb, and in his strength, he struggled with God. Yes, he struggled with the angel and prevailed. But check out this last piece. He wept and sought favor from him. How did he win? How did he prevail? It's like Jacob wasn't strong where he overpowered. And we know that this was the Lord. Okay, this is an Old Testament appearance, right? A theophany, a Christophany. Jesus Christ, he's literally uh, wrestling with the Lord. It, what, he was not overpowering, but what we see here is that he surrendered he submitted he wept and he cried out and he called out and as he's wrestling with God he is now crying out to God in submission and it is through submission that led to his prevailing because we win when God wins right we win when God wins and so it was in Jacob's brokenness when he surrendered that he gained the victory because it was the Lord's victory. His nature is shifted from trying to do things on his own to realizing he can't do things on his own and entrusting himself into the Lord, crying out to the one who truly has the power and truly has the control and truly has the ability to do these things and to get his will done. Jacob shifted from being self-sufficient and trying to do things his own way to now being someone who realized he needed to be dependent on God. See, Jacob was always trying to use people to see what he could get out of them, right? He, was used, he used his brother 
Esau, right? We went through that. He used uh, his uncle Laban. But here's the thing. He even tried to use God. If you jump back to verse 9 here of our, of our chapter 32, uh, check out this prayer that Jacob prays to the Lord. Genesis 32, 9. He says, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your family and I will deal well with you. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. For I fear him lest he come and attack me and the mother of the children. For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So here, Jacob's praying to God and, and, and he's asking God to help him out. He's like, God, I'm in a hard place. God, help me, help me, help me. And, and it's interesting how Jacob is reminding God of his promises. Now, I might be wrong about this, but uh, when we pray to God, I don't think God is the one who needs to be reminded of his promises. <laughs> right? If anyone needs to be reminded of God's promises, it's us when we're going through stuff, when we're going through struggles and trials and we're overwhelmed and we forget the things that God has done and we forget that God is still on the throne and it is us who needs to be reminded. Guys, God does not need to be reminded of his promises. God never fails to fulfill his promises. And so here's Jacob kind of throwing back to God. Hey, remember you said... You were going to deliver me. You were going to prosper me. Remember, he's like, I'm holding you to it, right? And he's like, please keep me alive. Don't let my brother kill me, right? I know he's got that appointment on his calendar, and I don't want that to uh, come too. And so essentially, Jacob, through his prayer, he's trying to use God for his own benefit, to get his own agenda, to get himself out of trouble, and to get himself where he wants to be. He was trying to do things his way and get God to go along with it. So Jacob could have this for his own benefit. And before we get too judgmental of Jacob, I think we need to look at ourselves and say, how many times is our prayer life the same way? Right? If we do an analysis of our prayer life, how much of our prayer life is us you know, asking God for things and, and asking God to, to accomplish what we want done as opposed to us asking God what He wants to get done? That we often can pray in such a way to where we're just giving God his task list, right? It's the whole, okay, all right, Lord, I hope you got a pen and a paper because you got a lot of things to do. Like, you're going to be busy. Lord, it's like, that's not prayer. That's not how it works, right? We're not trying to, to get God on board with our plan. Guys, we need to get on board with his. And here's the point, guys. You can either seek to use God to achieve your will or you can seek God to use you for his will. Right? You can either seek to use God to achieve your will or you can seek God to use you for His. May I suggest the latter? We're not going to be disappointed when we align ourselves with God's will because uh, God is often up to things that we don't even understand, we don't see, and we're unaware of. And so we should not try to manipulate and connive God and to try to, you know, pray ourselves into a situation where God feels obligated to fulfill. 
Instead, we should seek God so that we can be used by God, so His will is accomplished in us and through us. We should seek God so that we can be used by God for His glory. So Jacob's nature was changed from a self-dependence to a dependency on God, and he went from relying on his own strength to realizing where true strength comes from, which is in the Lord. Right? The, the truth is, when we do things in our own strength, it's not very impressive. You know? I think a lot of times, guys, we try to think that we're strong, you know? and we try to you know, dazzle with our feats of strength, you know, especially even from, from a young age. You know, little kids, it's like you know, they're lifting up the milk carton. They're like, yeah, mama, look at this. You know? And mama gets all excited. She's like, that's my baby, you know, so excited. But the truth is, it's not that impressive, guys. But when God displays his strength, that's when things happen. That is what is impressive, right? That's when things really move. And that's what we need to seek is not to display our own strength or our ability to maneuver or to manipulate or to connive, but to really get on board with what God is doing so we can see him display his strength in our lives. Amen? We see the same thing with Paul with his thorn in the flesh. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, it says this, and he said to me, this is Paul t talking about his, the Lord's response, Great, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities than the power of Christ may rest upon me, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So here, Paul is saying, you know what? If I am weak, if I am broken, if I am unable, then everything that I achieve gives glory to God. And people know that it wasn't in my strength or my abilities, but the glory goes to God. Guys, that's how we need to approach this life, is how can we pour into, how can we align ourselves with what God is doing so that He can be glorified to do exceedingly and abundantly above that which we could ask or think. Because see, guys, God had a plan for Jacob. Jacob's plan, stay alive. <laughs> it's like that calendar appointment, like let's just have that not happen. That's my goal. But you know what? God had a better plan. God's will and his plan was so much better that he wanted to use Jacob to be the father of a nation, of a chosen people who would bless every nation with the seed of the Messiah, that the God of the Bible would be called the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that God would do the great things that he did in the Old Testament, that God would do the things that yet lie ahead for Israel. Because God's not done with Israel, amen? amen? But God had such a greater plan in store, that which Jacob could not even conceive and understand. Because God's always got a better plan. God's always got a better plan. Isaiah 55 eight says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. See, guys, God's got a better plan. But we got to remember, God's plan is achieved in His strength, right? we got to do His plan His way, right? We must align ourselves according to His plan and not try to do things in our own way or in our own strength. And so we must change as we approach our breaking points from a mentality of trying to do things in our own strength, 
right? Whatever you're going through in this season, you, things may be tough and difficult and we may be striving and trying to do certain things and we need to get to a point where we say, you know what? I can't do this. God, I'm entrusting it. I'm surrendering it. I'm giving it over to you to allow God to display his strength instead of trying to impress others with ours. Amen. Number two, the second key to turn your breaking point into a win, the I in win is allowing your breaking point to produce in you a new identity. A new identity. Look at verse 27. It says this, So he said to him, What is your name? This is the, the angel. This is the Lord speaking to Jacob. What is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. And so here we see that Jacob received a new name, but it wasn't just a new name. The thing we've got to realize is, especially in this culture, a new name means a new identity. Because in this culture, your name was your identity. They didn't just, you know, Google up the top names at the time, right? Like, what sounds trendy? You know, I was like, let's go with Jacob, right? Um, no, there was meaning, right? And so Jacob's name had meaning in it. funny because for the same reason uh, my son had no name for two days my son had no name for two days because here's the thing like uh, my wife and I we we could not agree on a name like every name that she liked I hated and every name that I liked she hated right so what are we gonna do right and um, so there was one name that we could like compromise on it was the name Adrian we're like okay we're gonna go with that all right okay cool right so we're going with it, you know, we're getting the nursery stuff, you know, Adrian, Joshua, you know, AJ, and we got like the initials up in like his little room, the nursery, like we're good to go. And then I have this conversation uh, with one of our elders here, and uh, he's asking me about, you know, my son's name and how we came up with it. And then he proceeds to uh, tell me this wonderful story of the meaning behind his son's name, you know, and just, I'm just like, <gasps> and then... You know, he asked me, like, hey, so how'd you come up with a name? I'm just like, I need a better story. <laughs> I need a better name, right? And uh, see, the only other name that, that my wife and I both agreed on, we actually really loved, was the name Christian. But our best friends, they, their son's name was Christian. And we're like, ah, they got that one. You know, like, we can't copy that. And, uh, but, like, but like, after this conversation, it was just, like, stirring. And so it ends up being, like, two days before uh, my wife goes into labor. She kind of had an emergency uh, delivery. And uh, I dropped this on her. I'm like, uh, we need to, like, change the name. And she's just like, what are you talking about? You know, and so here she is. She's like, I'm trying to have a baby here, you know. And I'm talking about a name. And it's just like, oh, my goodness. So basically... Uh, my son, you know, he was sitting there in the hospital, like two days, birth certificate on the table. It just says, baby guy, so that's it. He's like, no name, my poor son. And then it's funny because Pastor Barry, uh, he came and uh, visited us and uh, we, we asked him about it. And he's just like, you know, Christian, go with it. You know, we can't beat that. A follower of Christ. And there's meaning behind that. And so, you know, I love that now because there's some meaning in the name. And the point here, guys, is these names had meaning. And so Jacob's name is deceiver. Jacob's name is heel catcher. And so really, when, when the Lord is asking him to say his name, he's really asking him for a confession. 
Who are you? Deceiver. Who are you? Heel catcher. Who are you? Conniver. And Jacob had lived up to that every moment back from the womb, right? He had lived up to that to every point. And so here he had to confess and admit who he was so that God could show him who he really was, who God could show him who he was going to be. And here's the point, guys, is simply this. You must see yourself as you really are in order to allow God to change you into who he wants you to be. Right? We got to see who we really are. We got to confess. We got to admit in order to give God access to change us into what we should be, into what he wants us to be. And this is a big problem that so many of us have. We don't want to admit. We don't want to confess. We say, I'm not that bad. Right? We justify. We rationalize. I'm okay. It's like my, my neighbor over there, you know, is like he killed his wife and I haven't done that. Right? It's just like that's... Not the standard, right? There is one standard. The standard is not the craziest of crazy. The standard is Jesus Christ. The standard is perfection. And guys, if you've not met that standard, and you haven't, you need a new identity. You need a new identity. You need a savior. You need to be changed. But in order to be changed, we have to say, I'm a sinner. We have to say, I'm weak. We have to say, I'm broken. We have to tell God that we need Him. We can't compare ourselves to others. We need to compare ourselves to the standard. And so here we see Jacob had to admit who he was prior to this encounter with God so that God could show him who he was going to be. He had to see himself as he really was. He had to see himself as God saw him. And again in verse 28, it says, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, deceiver, conniver, heel catcher, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and prevailed. You shall be called Israel, governed by God, right? No longer calling the shots by deceiving and conniving, but now God is calling the shots in your life. Now you are governed by God. Because the truth is, guys, for us in, in this new covenant of Jesus Christ, who you are in Christ is a new person, a new identity than who you were in Christ. Right? It doesn't matter who you were. Maybe you were a deceiver. Maybe you were messed up. Maybe you were really you know, broken in so many different ways. And it doesn't matter where you have come from. It matters where you come to and who you come to and allow him to relabel you. As his. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Jesus Christ came to make us new. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is the great exchange, you guys, that Jesus Christ would come to earth to give to us his righteousness, to, to cloak us in his garment of holiness and his garment of righteousness in exchange, in exchange for that, would take upon himself our sin, our shame, and the penalty for the things that we have done, and would give to us his white garment of righteousness. A new label, no longer labeled by sin, no longer labeled by shame, but labeled as a son, as a daughter, forgiven at the cost of Jesus Christ. 
guys. That is an identity that has been paid for with blood. Let us walk in it. Let's walk in that identity that has been purchased for us at such a great cost. Let us walk and live as those who are governed by God. So we got to admit who we truly are to allow God to change us. Coming to know God reveals who we truly are. And so we need to ask ourselves, are we walking in that? What identity are you walking in? What are you known for? What are your ways? What are your methods? How do you approach things? Are you walking and living in your identity in Christ? Are you walking, living, and displaying that you are governed by God? Jacob was changed from a, a, a deceiver to a depender on God. Jacob was changed from a deceiver to a receiver of God's grace, of God's calling, of God's purpose, of God's inheritance, and all the great things that God has done for him. Guys, we have an inheritance. God's got something for us to walk in. Amen? Amen. All right, you guys ready to go for the W? Let's do it. Let's go for the W. The W in win is allowing your breaking point to produce in you a new walk. A new walk. Check this out. Verse 25. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip. I think it was a little more than a touch, right? He touched the socket of his hip and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And check this out. Verse 31. Drop down. He says, just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him and he limped on his hip. This was a permanent change, right? This wasn't just something that kind of popped out temporarily. Like maybe you know somebody who's got a joint that, that pops out. There's this guy I used to work with. His shoulder would come out. You know, he'd do something like this. And the next thing you know, it's like that. You're like, ah, he's like, hold on. He just does something weird. It pops back in. No, Jacob was walking with a limp, right? Jacob had been touched by God. to break him, to give him that breaking point. And he had to be broken to be brought to the point of total surrender, to surrender to God's strength, to no longer walk in his own strength. He was no longer able to, to run and to do things the way that he did before, but now as he walked, he was walking in the Lord's strength and in what God had done for him instead of his own abilities. But here's the thing, he was different after being touched by God. It was something that was visible to others. Something had changed in his life. There was a change in Jacob. And the point here is simply this, guys. If you have been touched by God, it will be evident for all to see yes. in how you walk. Mm -hmm. If we've really been touched by God, the way that we walk should be different, right? And I'm not talking about like a gangster stroll, you know, just put a little pep in your step. You know, that's not what we're talking about, right? We're talking about the way that you live, the way you behave, the way you interact with people, the way you see people, the way that you treat people. It should be apparent that that person has been touched by God. This speaks to our relationship, not only with God, but our relationship with God must impact our relationship with men with people, the way we interact with each other. And so here we see a change. As Jacob went into the situation, seeking what he could get from people. And what we'll see here in a minute is how he comes out seeing what he could give. He came into this 
wanting to get, and now we're going to see that he's coming out wanting to give. Spoiler, spoiler alert here. Chapter 33, if you flip over, this meeting with Esau was not a big battle royale. You know, here's Esau coming, 400 men. It's like an army. What's going to happen? Jacob thinks calendar appointment's going to happen, but it doesn't happen. Check this out. Genesis 33 and verse 4, he says, Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. Right, so it was a warm welcome, right? There, there was a, a warm welcome. There was not this, this crazy battle, and they were basically reconciled together. Now, uh, what had happened was Jacob had sent a lot of his livestock ahead as a gift. He's like, it was like basically a please don't kill me gift. You know, one of those, like, hey, I'm like, I'll throw you another sheep. Still, don't kill me, right? And uh, so, so he's trying to like appease his brother, you know. And, uh, but now there's this warm embrace. And you know what the old Jacob would have done? He'd have been like, oh, so you're not going to kill me? So can I have my sheep back? Like, <laughs> I, I don't have to give you these sheep. Let me, let me have them back. But what did he do? Check this out. Genesis 33, verse 10. He says this, and Jacob said, no, please. If I have found favor in your sight, then receive my present from my hand inasmuch as I have seen your face as though I had seen the face of God and you were pleased with me. Please take my blessing that it is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. So he urged him and he took it. Right here we see a change, Jacob, the way he's no longer trying to get. He's no longer trying to take advantage, but now he doesn't have to give it. You know, Esau's like, hey, keep what you have. I have plenty. That's fine. And Jacob's like, no. Like, it's different now. Something has changed. And so he gives. He goes from being a, a self-seeking to a person, to a giving person. And it was apparent to Esau that something had changed in Jacob. Right? These actions, this way, this demeanor, this approach was apparent and evident to Esau that something had changed in Jacob. And so if we've been touched by God, it should be apparent in our lives, in our walk, in our witness. In our witness, the way that we appear to other people, the way that we represent Christ as we represent ourselves as children of God, we are to walk as children of God and we should be lights in the midst of a dark time. We're in a dark season, are we not? Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. See, if we've been changed by God, it will change the way we interact with other people. Jacob walked with a limp as a mark, as a sign that he had been touched by God and that he was now walking in God's strength. It was a permanent change. Guys, once we've been touched by God, there's no going back. You don't go back to the way that you were. This, it's a one-way change, and we move forward, and we're not perfect, but we allow God to mold us and to shape us more and more into His image as we allow more and more of Him in, and we release more and more of our old self. We allow Him to increase, and we have ourselves decrease to become more like Him. And so in the same way, guys, the way that we walk should be apparent for the world to see. The way to victory with God is surrender. And so as we bring this to a close here, you know, my question for you is, you know, have you reached your breaking point? 
Have you reached your breaking point or are you wrestling with God? See, Jacob was kind of forced into this spot. He really had no option. But, but the breaking point came with surrender. Here's the good thing, guys. You don't have to, to be forcefully broken as soon as you surrender to God. It's over. You can surrender. You can have a willing surrender. You don't have to wait until your circumstances drive you to the ground, until you have no other option where you can't turn to the right or left. Wherever you're at in this season, in this moment, at the moment when we surrender, God gets the victory in your life through you. So we can either be broken unwillingly by our circumstances, or we can be lovingly broken not for a loss of function, but to function on a whole other level when we surrender, as soon as we submit. So guys, this is a dark season, a dark time. We need to let our lights so shine before men. We need to let people know that the reason we walk different is because we are different, because we have something in us that is different from the world. Right? Just like that glow stick, it has a little glass vial inside and, and something has been placed inside of that stick that makes it, when it's stretched and when it's flexed, it's not damaged, it comes to life. And if we've received Jesus Christ, something has been placed in us that is completely different than the world, that allows us to handle our circumstances completely different than the world handles them. When a Christian goes through difficult times, we have the ability in his strength not to be crushed, but to shine as a light in the darkness. So are you struggling with God? Are you still trying to do things in your own strength? Do you have an idea, an agenda of what you want and how you want to go and, and what you want to, to come out of this as? Or are you willing to surrender and say, God, do with me according to your will? So let's use this season as a mirror to see ourselves properly. Let's, let's use this season to see God properly. Not as someone who wants to limit us or to destroy us, but who wants to enable us to do that which we could not do on our own. And let's treat other people like someone who's been changed by God. Let's interact with others. Let's not be like everyone else seeking to gain and to get and to take advantage but let's pour out what's been poured into us. The love of God that is in us should be the love of God coming out of us, right? That selfless, sacrificial, agape love that God has loved us with. Let us so love one another in the world. So will you allow God to break you in this season? Will you allow Him to break you or are you going to continue to struggle and to fight against God? When we allow God to break us, it leads us into a new era, a new season in our life where we are governed by God. And it allows us to function and to do things that we never could before. Will you let him do it? Let's pray. <clears throat> Dear Lord, we do. Thank you, Lord God, for your love, your unconditional love. Lord, we thank you that you've given us everything we need to endure, to remain, to sustain in this season, Lord, that you have placed in us that which we could not earn or achieve in our own abilities. And Lord, we thank you for that. And so God, I just pray for everyone, Lord, this has been a tough year. 
just circumstance after circumstance, one thing after another, and so many are just at that point of breaking. Lord, I pray that you would give the grace, that you would give the wisdom, that you would give the strength to surrender, to give in, to entrust ourselves into your hands, not knowing exactly what lies ahead, but knowing that what lies ahead in your will and in your hands is only for the better. Lord, I thank you that your plans are greater than our plans and your ways are above our ways. So would you help us to trust you in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the pain, that we would surrender ourselves to you and let our light so shine before men, the light of you living inside of us. So Spirit, would you move? Would you comfort? Would you build up? Would you strengthen every hurting and weary heart? God, would you strengthen with your strength? God, would you lead? God, would you guide us? And God, would you use us according to your will? And so, Lord, we thank you. We praise you for all of these things. And we ask them all now in Jesus' name. Amen.